0: I'm Luke Simmons. And
1: I am Seth Trout. And we are here to critique the hell out of culture. All right, welcome
0: back to the King Culture Podcast. Happy New Year, everybody. It is great to, uh, great to have you listening with us. Seth, good to see you this morning, man.
1: It is. It is. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah, this is, uh, it's so good to see me. Is what he just said, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, yeah, happy new year. It's a new year, new month, new season of, well, that's not really a new season. We're continuing a conversation we've been in related to the Reformation and the Doctrines of Grace. These are things we get lots of questions about over time, right? We get, we got a, just didn't ask anything not long ago, a lot of questions related to that. We encourage people to try to check this uh, podcast out. So um, I think this is probably our last episode related to the Doctrines of Grace, Um, we'll see, I guess, where the wind takes us as we go. But what are we talking about today?
1: Today we're ending with uh, two brief conversations that we're calling Preservation and Responsibility. Okay. Uh, The whole idea of T-U-L-I-P, the last letter in there, is what historically been understood as the perseverance of the saints. Uh, Some have called it the doctrine of endurance, or it's related to assurance of salvation, internal security, uh, the concept of once saved, always saved. And last time we taught this course, we preferred the term the preservation of the saints, that mm. is God is... Per-
0: Versus the perseverance.
1: Yeah, because the, then the focus is on God's action in his people rather than the people's action. Mm. Uh, it's not necessarily the, 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 the sustaining, differentiating uh, sine qua non of, the, of what we're talking about here is not human action, but it is God's action, that God is preserving the faith and the works of his people, that he's causing them... Uh, to like by his spirit, you know, we, the yeah. humans can raise their sails, but it's the spirit of God that propels uh, the sale forward. So we're talking- well, that's,
0: it's pretty cool how they're not really opposed to each other, right? Like we are going to persevere because God's going to preserve us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I just prefer the, the orientation or the description that elicits gratitude. Yeah. That makes that sense. God's preserving me and it preserves confidence because I don't have a tremendous confidence in myself or my track record, but I do have a ton of confidence in God's promises and banking on them. And it's actually the primary means by which we persevere is by believing God's promises, by continuing to believe in his promises. And so it's the preservation of God that sustains. So we're going to talk about perseverance, preservation, and then we're going to talk about responsibility and a little bit of the so what okay we have going on there. So I figured we'd start with a little review in case people haven't been doing this for a while and get going there.
0: Yeah, great. So uh, talking through the Doctors of Grace, we... Begin with the idea of total inability, which means we're not as bad as we could be. Everyone could be morally worse than they currently are, but that we are as bad off as we could be, and we can't do anything that would morally merit us favor before God.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, and we cannot generate within ourselves uh, faith that is anything worthy of salvation. Yeah. And so we're unable to regenerate ourselves, unable to give ourselves a new heart. We can't cause ourselves to be born again to a living hope. God causes us to be born again. To living hope, which is our, our inability. Yeah. There you go. And where do we go from there? Uh, then what we see is uh, related to that is the question of how come some are saved or not saved? How come some have faith and don't have faith? And that's where you look at the doctrine of irresistible grace, that all who the Father calls will come. We talked about general call, the internal call, uh, how any who will come are welcome, John 3.16, whoever shall come. Um, but however, there's this internal call, the renewing work of the Spirit that sparks new life. This, the heart of stone is replaced with the heart of flesh, hmm. that God does heart surgery and gives people a new heart. Yeah. And the question is, why some, not others? And that's where you talk about election or predestination, uh, that somehow, some way, the author of history is choosing before the foundation of the world to set his affection on some and save them. Uh, and trying to make sense of that is a huge mystery. Mm-hmm. I'm just, if you haven't listened to those episodes, please stop and go back and listen to them. Otherwise, yeah. you'll have a ton of questions about where the summary and be frustrated. Yep. And the last one we talked about was atonement. Uh, does the blood of Jesus certainly save some, or does it possibly save none, or does it possibly save all? And uh, what exactly was accomplished when Jesus said, It is finished? We said that when Jesus said, It is finished, we talked about how um, atonement or uh, the, uh, propitiation for sin was certainly accomplished and that the blood of Jesus doesn't just make us savable. It actually saves us. Yeah, man, that's good news.
0: Mm-hmm. It, it's interesting as we go back through that. And as I think about these conversations we've had, it's reminded me of just how big God is in this whole thing, right? This is about, he gets bigger, we get appropriately smaller. And, um, and so it makes sense really then that God would preserve us, right? If he's gone to all this effort to save us and he actually is saving us he's gonna hold on to us and uh it's interesting though th- this isn't one that gets a lot of controversy i mean i guess there are some uh parts of a wesleyan tradition or maybe um a church of the nazarene kind of view where people are constantly losing their salvation but it seems like a lot of time people really are okay with yeah well once you're saved you're always saved uh, my pastor in college he used to talk about how um the, the approach to understanding salvation that's different than what we've been talking about, he called it the here kitty view of salvation. You know, when you're trying to call a cat, and it's like, here kitty kitty, here kitty kitty, here kitty kitty. And the cat's looking at you like, not in a million years. Here kitty kitty kitty. And uh, what he, I, I remember specifically one time he said, you know, what most people do is they try to scotch tape the doctrine of perseverance onto a here kitty view of salvation. Mm-hmm. And they don't really hold together very well. But but if you have this view that the call of God is not here kitty kitty, but it's Lazarus come forth, then it makes sense he's gonna hold on
1: to you. Yeah, that's great. I would call it the here toddler view of salvation. <laughs> I don't have a cat, but it sounds yeah. about the
0: same. Yeah, I don't have a cat either. Thank Come God. over here right now. That's one of the reasons come, I don't come, want a cat.
1: Come here, come here right now. Come here, stop, come here right now, come here now. So <laughs> yeah. the ineffective call of, yeah. the, of the father on the toddler. So so where do you want to begin? Theological
0: reflection, scripture, history, somewhere else? Where we, where do you want to go on it?
1: Uh, just another word of like the spirit of this conversation. It's worth stating and restating mm. that the whole spirit of the Reformation, was this idea of ad fontes back to the sources. We want our tradition to be critiqued and updated by scripture as much as possible. Uh, the creeds, the confessions, our doctrine, et cetera, et cetera, can be helpful summaries of what the Bible says but the Bible must always trump tradition. And that's the spirit of this is not necessarily people trying to embrace reformed theology or embrace Calvinism or embrace whatever, but it's really rooted in. We just want to be able to get to the heart of the scriptures and know them well. And that's what we're trying to do here. So that's great. Um, what I have here is a couple of definitions just so we can be clear about what we're talking about. And then a couple of texts that we can great, look at. So, um here's the definition I'm going to give of the perseverance or the preservation of the saints. Those chosen by God, redeemed by Christ, and given faith by the Spirit will certainly persevere in faith and obedience. Hmm. So those who have genuine faith will continue in genuine faith. Uh, that will happen. So that's a promise. So in this reading, rather than perseverance being like, you better keep your faith or else you'll lose your salvation— uh, which would be kind of more of the arminian view this is more um, a promise that if you have faith you can you can hold on to it uh, another definite another kind of similar but not totally rela- uh, like very related but not exactly the same as the idea of eternal security <clears throat> those chosen by god redeemed by christ and given faith by the spirit have eternal life and cannot lose that eternal life that mm-hmm. eternal life cannot be taken from them and so perseverance of saints focuses on like a temporal like those who have faith will continue to have faith. Eternal security focuses on an eternal. Those who are saved will always be saved. Uh, especially like once saved, always saved is a really big kind of way of saying it, like the Calvary Bible churches and, and that type of thing. Then you have this idea of the assurance of salvation, which again is related, but this is more, here's the definition. It's the subjective sense that some people have that they are God's saved and chosen people or saved and chosen children. Hmm. So that's subjective sense that some people have. Uh, so the feeling of assured salvation is something that some non-saved people have. And it's a feeling that some saved people don't have.
0: Yeah. I've, I think people get that mixed up a lot of the time. Is yes. There's a huge difference between you will be preserved and you know you're saved.
1: Yes, absolutely. Like I've sat with people in counseling who are you know, beating their wives, visiting prostitutes, swindling money no fear of God, no evidence of repentance, yada, yada, yada. I'm an American, so I'm a Christian, and I'm certain I'm going to heaven, and I'm certain I'm a Christian, and I'm trying to talk them out of a certain salvation. No, you should be very afraid, actually, because there's not a whiff of the fruit of the Spirit in your life, and you're not even pretending to be repentant. You're just saying, I walked down that aisle when I was five, and so I'm good.
0: Yeah, and Scotch-taped it.
1: Yeah, yeah, and so... So a lot of pastoral counseling has to do with the and salvation. Hmm. And uh, so it's more like the first two, perseverance and preservation and internal security. Those categories are more just a biblical theological reflection. Assurance, the subjective internal experience of, like Romans 6, 8 talks about the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. Mm-hmm. What exactly does that sound like? How does that feel? How do we walk in that? That's more of a pastoral crisis than it is like necessarily theological yeah. reflection. So those are the definitions we're talking about. And I have a couple, like, summary headlines here. Um, um, and By a couple, I mean five.
0: In terms of verses? Like
1: Bible passages? No, I have five major headlines with verses underneath mm-hmm. the oh, of them. Oh, cool. Great. So <clears throat> what does the Bible teach about perseverance? First, faith must endure to the end to be saved. Okay. Uh, Jesus says this uh, very clearly in a couple different places, Mark thirteen thirteen, The one who endures to the end will be saved. There it is. Pretty clear. Uh, and this is where something that Arminians and Calvinists really, really agree on. Yeah. Right? If someone's in church saying they believe in Jesus and then six months later is out of church saying they don't believe in Jesus, both Calvinists and Arminians and Molinists and all the Amaraldians and all the tribes of people all in between all say that, that person should be worried. Yeah. There's a small percentage of Christians who, like upon meaningful theological reflection, will say that a person that once professed faith and now no longer professes faith is going to be saved. It's a, kind of a doctrine of cheap grace, uh, easy believism. That's salvation by altar call, not salvation by grace through faith. Right, yeah. Uh, and so, again, the doctrine of perseverance is really isn't all that together- like you say, controversial, but in traditions, but it's worth stating. Like, yeah,
0: and, and the Armenians would say they were saved, and now they're not. The Calvinists would say they were never saved, but both would say they're not. They're not saved if yeah. they're denying Christ and walking away from Him. And
1: yeah, there's tremendous pragmatic unity. Yeah, the answer is that person must repent and believe. Sure. Uh, the question is, do they have it and lose it? And so, the the, the thrust to endure remains. Uh, even we see this in the parable of the sowers, right? And the par- Jesus says the parable is this, the seed is the word of God uh, the, par- the sower is sowing out, throwing all these seeds, the ones along the path are those who have heard, the devil comes and takes them away, th- the word from their hearts, so they may not believe and be saved, and the ones on the rock are those who when they heard the word received with joy but these have no roots, they believe for a while but in time of testing fall away as for what fell among the thorns, there are those who hear and they go on their way and are choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and the fruit does, does not mature. As for the good soil, those are, but those, they are those who, hearing the word of God, hold fast and honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So like I read that, and I go, okay, well, I know I'm not the first one that initially just fell on deaf ears, and I know I'm not the second one. I've had some root develop, but there is like this exhortation or thrust on that third category Um, that those who hear, but as they go on their way, are choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and the fruit does not mature. Mm -hmm. Like, I think people in our church should hear the parable of the sower and go, ooh, I'm at a little bit at risk there, right? Yeah, sure. And the fourth one is a good soil that grows up with good patience. And so...
0: Yeah, you're not supposed to hear that parable and think that only one of the kinds of, you know, soil isn't saved. You're you're supposed to go, oh, wow, most of them aren't. Mm -hmm. You know, and a good start doesn't, you know, doesn't necessarily prove that you're saved. What proves that you're saved is that you bear fruit over time.
1: Yeah, how you end is more important than how you begin yeah. is is the thrust of that text. Uh, we see this in Colossians 1, 21, 2. Um, <clears throat> uh, you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above approach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. Not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and which I, Paul, became a minister. So Paul's re-saying or restating or rehearsing Jesus' exhortation: "If indeed you continue the faith, those who endure to the end to be saved." Saying difficulty will come, yeah, and the testing proves uh, the reality. So uh, Christians from all traditions would hold to this view that faith does have to endure to like be evidence of salvation. Yeah. Uh, point number two. Um, obedience is necessary for salvation.
0: Okay. So, enduring faith is necessary. Obedience is necessary. Yeah,
1: which is going to, I'm sure, make some people go like, I don't like that. (laughs) uh, Well,
0: if you think about it, they're the same thing, right? An enduring faith is an obedient faith. Yeah. Right? So, like, if someone was, you know, saying they believe but was totally disobedient, you'd go, are you sure you believe? Right. I mean, that was your whole example, right? The person who goes, "Well, I beat my wife, and I visit prostitutes, and I live totally disobediently."
1: Well, you don't have any confidence that you have real faith. Yeah, yeah. So notice it says that obedience is not the grounds for salvation. It's not a. It's not the reason. Yeah, it's not the means of gaining or earning. Yeah, uh, but true participation in the life of Christ through our willful obedience is a necessary, like, um, indicator of salvation. So. Uh, John eight thirty one says Jesus said um, to the Jews who believed, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So it's a litmus test, a truth test. Yeah. Uh, John first John two three to six, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. Pretty clear. <laughs> Uh, 1 John 3, 9, No one who is born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, but he has been born of God. Mm-hmm. That's not saying Christians do not ever sin, but this endurance in unrepentance yeah. is not evidence. Uh, Romans eight thirteen. If you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Hebrews 12, 14, Strive for peace with everyone, for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Mm. So the question is, what does faith do? Faith energizes movement. Faith uh, is the thrust of the Spirit in our hearts to lead us to do something. Yeah. So faith is not a passive do-nothing reality. Faith is decidedly activist. It mobilizes us into obedience.
0: Well, if we're born again into this faith, then it's this new life, it's this new creation in Christ that's going to grow up and manifest as increasing obedience, increasing distaste towards sin, increasing desire for holiness in God. So that makes sense.
1: Yeah. All right. So point number three, this is where the uh, reformed folks would then begin to differ with the Arminians or even <clears throat> some other types. Uh, God's elect cannot be lost. Okay. So we would hold that you cannot lose your salvation. Uh, what you can have happened is your salvation can prove to be spurious as John Calvin would say.
0: Yeah. You can prove to be the second or the third soil.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You can prove that your faith wasn't legitimate or that you were believing for convenient sociological reasons or that you had an emotional bump at church one Sunday and that led you to, so we would say that God's like be lost. And I hope the people listening know that if you have faith in Christ, um, that you're being held by God. So, Uh, Jesus says this, this is eternal security. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Mm. So that's not necessarily reflecting on the doctrine of perseverance or preservation, just reflecting on eternal security. You have eternal security if you believe, period, full stop. Uh, John 10, uh, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will not perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So here you have this picture of Christ holding his people mm, yeah. and the Father holding his people. Like there's this, uh, there's a Trinitarian word um, called ad opera, ad extra, mm. meaning the visible works belong to all of them. Yeah, That's my rendering of the Latin. <laughs> so it's uh, this idea that the Father and Son partner in everything. Yeah. whatever evidence we can see uh, that which is uh, visible is the being held. And so you have the father holding and you have the son holding. No one can came out of my hand and the father's better than everybody No one can him out of their hand. So Jesus right. kind of saying like, even if I happen to let go, the father is better than everybody and he's not letting go. So mm-hmm. Jesus is not going to let go, but he's going, even if there was a sense in which, yeah, like there's a dual uh, safety net here. Sure. Uh, you can't be taken out of God's hand. Uh, Romans 8.30, those whom he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So there's a sense in which we are already glorified, reigning with Christ in the heavenly places. Uh, there's a greater sense in which we will be glorified, we will experience glory at the resurrection. But there's already a sense now that we are eternally reigning with, with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. And it's already not yet there, said. So God's elect cannot be lost. So I would say that the Bible teaches... Uh, if someone has legitimate belief, they have full stop claim to eternal life right now. And it can't be taken from them. Yeah, um, and at the same time, they must endure and persevere. Yeah, right. So, so this is this gets to the fourth point. The falling away persists. It shows that their faith is not genuine and they're not born of God. Uh, this is pretty clearly uh, said in two different texts. First uh, John two uh, children. It is the last hour. And as you've heard the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. They went out from us, but they were never of us, or they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become pain that they all are not of us. Plain, not pain, sorry. I didn't read that right. So the they were never of us, therefore they went out. Yeah. are so people among us. This is the idea of like the visible and the invisible church. Mm-hmm. The visible church is the people who are at the gathering. The invisible church are those who have legitimate, renewed hearts in Christ. Yeah. And so in the midst of the visible church, there's always a subset of that, which is the invisible church, which are those who are truly regenerate and have faith in Jesus. Luke 8, 13, Jesus says, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they heard the word, received it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing, fall away. So it's, it's a rootlessness.
0: Yeah, it seems, I mean, what comes to mind in, as you read those verses is the place where it says that a tree is known by its fruit. Yeah. Right. And it isn't the short term immediate sizzle of a fast growing plant, but it's actually the long
1: term enduring fruit that lasts over time. Even the metaphor Jesus used in John fifteen that were the vine and the branches I remember hearing about how it takes about seven years for a vine to bear fruit that can be used to make wine. Oh wow. Huh. But like good vines Good grapevines can make grapes for up to 150 years. Wow. So even the choice of the metaphor, there's yeah. a little bit of wait and see. Yeah, sure. Like, hey, like let's seek the small places, let's be developed, let's grow, mm-hmm. let's keep our head down and
0: like, yeah, and I don't sure. think that should breed any kind of like uh cynical skepticism of people's new yeah. found claims of faith. I think we should always be excited about that. You know, I think we should go, oh, man, that's awesome. Praise God! Oh, you're trusting Christ. Way to go! Cool. Like I can't wait to see how he keeps growing in you. You know, like so, it shouldn't lead to cynicism. Like we'll see, but uh, but there is a sense in which, like, yeah, over time, we'll
1: see. Especially you know? with leadership, what it one of the things that kind of gives me kind of the heebie-jeebies. I'd say is when this a new convert is like ripping and roaring and ready to lead stuff and really excited about like, and it. And this is part of the reason I think Paul in First Timothy five twenty two says, "Do not be hasty in the laying out of hands." Yeah, like there is this, like, hey, let's let's let the roots develop before we start hanging ornaments on this thing. Yeah, sure. You know, Charlie Brown tree over here. You know, like <laughs> let's let's, yeah. let's let the 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 uh, what's the middle part of the tree. Trunk. Let's let the trunk thicken up before we start asking this tree.
0: Did tr- you say the metal part of the tree? The middle part of the tree. Oh, I was like, Seth clearly has a fake Christmas tree. Yeah. The metal part of the, you Christmas know, the
1: metal trunk. part with the electricity <laughs> that lights up the things. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, funny. You, know, you got to let the trunk thicken up before it carries responsibility. Sure. And I think that's pretty hard for like eager beaver new converts. But I do think telling people like hey, and it's hard for
0: it's hard for leaders who see someone who's excited and gifted and. You know, ooh, Com- like compelling. We, yeah, we could we could use we could use that. That'd be awesome. And uh, yeah, it takes it takes some maturity to say, you know what,
1: let's let's just slow down. Yeah. Anyway. And here's the last chunk. Here is that why the, why I even prefer the term um, preservation rather than perseverance, is that God works to cause His elect to persevere. Hmm. Uh this is first Peter three, one, three to five. Blessed be the God and Father Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to living hope. That's regeneration, new life. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded. Mm. Wow. Through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed, that are being guarded is passive, that um I know like People talk about having a guardian angel mm-hmm. and whether they exist or not. And yeah, I think that's fine a debate. Um, but certainly you have a God who's guarding you. Yeah. Whether he's doing it indirectly through a guardian angel or directly through his spirit or not feels like something that you can argue about over dinner and not lose any sleep about. But we're being guarded by God. And I hope that we have a sense of the sense that God is guarding us. Yeah. Uh, Jude twenty Jude twenty four, twenty five, only one chapter in Jude, so I'm only going to read two verses, not two chapters here. (laughs) Um, Now to him who is able, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before him now and forever. Amen. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Um, I am not able to keep me from stumbling, but he is able to keep me from stumbling. Yeah, and I love that. In Philippians 1, six, this is one of the first verses I memorized when I was a Christian, I think. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion of the day of Jesus Christ. Mm. That um, Paul, in a different text, I don't have it right here. He says, like, how will you who began by the Spirit, proceed by the flesh? Like, the same way you start it's the same way you keep going. Yeah. The Spirit begins the work, and he brings that work to completion. Mm. In 1 Corinthians 1.8.9, um, God will sustain you to the end, guiltless, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you are called in the fellowship of his Son. So he will sustain us to the end. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1. So you, there you have Peter, um, Paul, Jude, Jesus, all talking about similar ideas there. That's so that's, that's the idea of the preservation of the saints, uh, the perseverance of the saints.
0: All that makes me think of that song that we sing sometimes, He Will Hold Me Fast. Yeah. He will hold me fast. I just, I love that song. And uh, because I, I just really love the idea that this whole thing is not dependent on my faith, but on his strength.
1: Yeah, I think one of the more emotional moments I've seen you have in one of our service was in one of our first post COVID regathering. Yeah. Talking about how you're listening to that song through this unshaky pandemic time, the sense of being held. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. It's a big deal. I mean, the main metaphor we get is that God is father and we're his child. There's other places where he, uh, God is described as maternal. He's never called a mother, but he's described like a mother. Yeah. Holding the baby. yep, Right. And even my daughter, Livy, now is one. will grab my finger, but she cannot hold herself up. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's like a sense in which we hold yeah. God. Um, but the security comes from him holding us not from Mm. us holding him yeah sure the relationship is mutual but the security is pretty one directional yeah or exclusively one directional that god preserves us god holds us Mm. that's great so now i'm going to pivot a bit so we talked about perseverance obedience faith i hope everyone listening uh, who has real faith feels real assurance and that's great but this this kind of idea of privilege and responsibility go hand in hand Mm. that the greatest privilege of all time is to know god to receive his grace yeah But one of the things you see throughout the Bible is that privilege always comes with responsibility. Yeah. That to be blessed is to be responsible Mm. and to be graced is to be responsible and to be called is to be responsible. And we can really miss the boat if we go all responsibility or all privilege. Yeah. If you go all responsibility, no privilege, that leads to legalism. You're trying Mm -hmm. to earn something. If you go all privilege, no responsibility, that goes to kind of a, a cheap grace. Yeah where there's no human participation, even like a fatalism or determinism or, or a different form of cheap grace, licentiousness. Who cares what I do? You know, it just... Mm-hmm. Well,
0: one of the things I hate even in this conversation is how the word privilege has been so hijacked.
1: So hijacked.
0: You know, like, really what you're talking about is just like being a child of God's a privilege. Like, yeah. it's amazing. Like, what a gift. What a blessing. What a well, yeah, joy. No. I mean, so it's it's using the word privilege in that way, not in a weaponized way that you know, you and should that, be on your heels about but more like on holy smokes, I have the privilege of
1: knowing God. Like, wow. Oh yeah. I the way that I'm using the word privilege is the way I wish we use the word privilege in this culture and moment. Yeah. Is like, congrats. You have more opportunity to bless people. Right. <laughs> not sure. Not how dare you have things you didn't earn. Right. You know, and but I, I think that whether any form of privilege, if it's legitimate, yeah, Christians should see as an opportunity to bless more people. Yep. Not an opportunity to whip yourself or uh, whatever, and so uh, you fill in the blanks there. But yeah, but
0: with blessing, with privilege, with this grace of this gift of grace, comes responsibility. Right? G- Genesis twelve: we're blessed to be a blessing, and so yeah, we have that responsibility.
1: Yeah. So I also hope that just emotionally speaking, that when people get told you have privilege, that that elicits an exciting, uh, non shameful thing. <laughs> Dang yeah. right, I am. Of course I am. Yeah. I'm more privileged than you even think. And watch how I'm going to leverage it to bless people. Yeah. Like, and that that's the, rather than feeling attacked. or Yeah, sure. And uh, obviously the, the details and extent of that could be debatable, how privileged are different people for different reasons. But in this situation.
0: As we think about really kind of the entirety of everything we've been talking about, not just today, but the last
1: number of episodes. Yeah, the entirety of the sweep of the salvation story we get. Leads is, us to. Is that God's people yeah. are insanely privileged. Yeah when they're in exile in Babylon and they know God privileged when they are being murdered for their faith under Roman oppressors privileged when they are reaping the fruits of Christendom under Constantine privileged, you know that, yeah. that it's a, uh, the privilege of God's people transcend sociolo- sociological moment because it's rooted in the eternal God's graciousness. Mm. so we can be certain of that. So here's this principle I want us to get is that print, responsibility precedes creation
0: responsibility pre- precedes precedes creation like comes before yes okay
1: that before humans are even created they have responsibility we see this in in the first creation and we see this in the second creation so in creation and new creation we have privilege coming before creation okay or responsibility coming before creation uh, so i'm talking about creation as privilege to be made is a privilege to be new to be a new creation to be given a new heart is privilege but how the responsibility comes before that. So we see this in Genesis 2, 5, 7. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for, so here's why the agricultural situation is sparse, for the Lord God had not yet caused it to rain the land and there is no man to work. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed it into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. So the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work. Hmm. That there is this um, development, unfolding, calling, responsible thing that humans are responsible for before they even exist. Hmm. That the creation of God has to be worked on to manifest God's glory in a, in a more increasing, multiplying way. And the reason I wasn't doing that yet is there was no man to do the work. So God creates the man and puts him in the garden to work. And so in that sense, there's this void of responsibility that then leads to the creation. Likewise, we see this uh, in Genesis 12, 1 through 2. So now we're talking about God's people. And now the Lord God said to Abraham, go from your country and your kin your kindred and your father's house and the land I'll show you. I'll make you a great nation and I'll bless you and make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. There's all these people who need to know me, who need to be blessed. I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be the vehicle of that blessing. So it's not that God chooses Abraham, and then goes like, "Well, I got to come up with something to do." <laughs> yeah, that God's mission precedes His missionaries. Ah, uh, okay. That God's purpose precedes even His like that. God is going to make His glory known across the face of the earth, and He's so. There's this responsibility or this work that needs to be done or this call. And then God calls people to himself so that they can fulfill the work he's calling them to do. Mm. So the whole question of like, why should I go to work? Why should I be a missionary? Why should I do evangelism? It's because that is central to the purpose, which God saved you in the first place Mm. that God calls people in order to leverage them to contribute to what he's working on, that we participate in the mission of God. Yeah. That God has a mission, and then He assembles a church to participate and serve His mission. Yeah.
0: What What I love about that is, especially when you think about the the privilege part and the responsibility part. Right. The privilege part is like, wow, holy cow, God, thank you, this is amazing. But if if that was all you had, you would be tempted to just kind of have worship services and thank the Lord a lot, and that sort of be it. But what you're saying, you know, based on the, on those verses is that you don't just have the privilege. You also have the responsibility that actually the way that God is going to call other people to himself, the way God is going to expand this privilege to others is actually through us taking ownership of the responsibility that
1: God's given us. Absolutely. Like we, we, God saves us and he enjoys us. That is true. Yeah. That he enjoys fellowship with us, but that is not the grounding of God's purpose. That God's glory is actually the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Isaiah 49.6 says, I will make you a light to the nations. That's talking about privilege, election, yep. shaping of a new people, so that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. Yep, That I'm saving you so that for something bigger than you. That's well, and
0: it's just empirically true that the vast majority of people who have gone into unreached places with the gospel, always suffering for it, did so motivated by their confidence in God's sovereignty and salvation. Absolutely. Not every person, but the vast majority. Um, even beginning, I think you could say with with Jesus and Paul. Yeah. You know.
1: So just like so, I said it one way that responsibility precedes creation. The other way of saying that is that purpose precedes privilege. Hmm. That God has a purpose for His people, and so then He privileges them to carry and fulfill that purpose. Hmm. Um, that God, a God on mission, comes before the people on mission. Another way that Mike Goheen says this is God does not elect a people forsaking the nations, but for the sake of the nations. Hmm. Uh, Chris Wright said it like this, Mission is not ours, mission is God's. Certainly the mission of God is the prior reality out of which flows any mission that we get involved in. Or, as been nicely put, it is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world, but that God has a church for his mission in the world. Hmm. I'm going to read that part again. It is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world, but that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission. That God is assembling a people because he has this prior goal of bearing witness to his glory across the face of the universe and and the creation. So I think that it's important for us because people say, well, if Calvinism is true, then why not do anything? It's like, well, you're misunderstanding the entire purpose of election. The purpose of election precedes the election. Which is that God's glory, that God's that God would have a people participating in what He's doing hmm. over the whole face of the earth.
0: Yeah, I find that both uh, this whole thing just very comforting and really challenging. Yeah. Like I'm so comforted that God is holding on to me. That God, you know, this isn't ultimately about my strength and my power and my grip on Him. It's about His grip on me. Um, but that as He as He holds on to me, He's also Kind of shoving me and going, yeah. "Hey, get out there, get going!" Like, tell tell some other people. Like, don't keep this to yourself. And so, yeah, that's that's really good.
1: So, there's really three big ways that I think I want people listening to think about what it means to participate in God's mission. The first one is to be a foretaste. This mm-hmm. is we did a campaign a while ago called Pink Spoon People. This idea that you can, as as I am conformed to the image of Christ. As I am congruent with my creational design, as I am congruent with the spirit of Christ, as I'm living into my created self, being renewed and made new by the spirit, I can be a foretaste of the new creation. That I can be a pink spoon sample of the greater amount of ice cream that is to come. <laughs> that in my person and in my communities and in our, that I can and we can be a foretaste. So that's more about a presence. Uh, we've, we've said here a, a number of times, a number of different ways that our transformed, transforming presence is the best gift we can give people. So this is like personal holiness yeah, that is palpably different. Romans 8, 23 says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown everly as we wait equally for adoption as sons, redemption of our bodies. So we get to be the foretaste as we wait. Uh, the second metaphor we get here, so after foretaste, is the idea of being signs. Mm-hmm. So a sign points past itself to something else um, that we... Uh, bear witness to we point to this is like one of the main metaphors you get is that we bear witness to the kingdom we tell people about it this is another way of talking about evangelism you know yeah it's warning admonishing exhorting uh, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glory to the father in heaven that we get to uh, be signs of the kingdom so we're foretaste of the kingdom we're signs of the kingdom and the last one is three is we're agents of the kingdom mm. that we uh, are god's ambassadors is a, a first peter phrase that just like if I was going to be the ambassador of the United States to Ireland, I would go to Ireland and advocate for the interests of the United States. So also, uh, this is an activism. Yeah, This is getting engaged in local community, being engaged in politics, being engaged in community building in various spaces, being engaged in schools, being engaged in hospital building, being engaged. This is like what, uh, like the when we say all life is all for Jesus, talking about, be active in the world as an ambassador of the world to come. Yeah. Be a sent person. Uh, So that's a decidedly political metaphor to be an agent. Mm. Like if I said, I'm a Russian agent, people would be (laughs) like, Oh gosh, yeah, sure. (laughs) You're not of us. You have other interests. So if I said, I'm a kingdom agent, Mm. uh, America should feel a little threatened by that, but also should recognize that uh, if like the agent of God's kingdom is actually acting in the best interest of everybody. Yeah. Despite it feeling like a threat Mm. ambassador agent. So, I think those three big metaphors of how we participate in the mission are helpful, that we're foretaste, we're signs, we're agents, and really kind of shape a broad uh, engagement that our participation in God's mission is not purely evangelism, it's not purely politics, it's not purely just praying and being holy, but it's actually this mix of engagement, evangelism, personal holiness. Uh, I think those three metaphors work together to give us a pretty complete picture mm. of how we might engage as God's missionaries.
0: Yeah, well, I think I'd like to maybe finish this little mini-series we've been in by by just praying along those lines. Is there anything before I pray that any last uh, comments you want to add?
1: No, I, I think prayer is very appropriate, um, but we on purpose decided to end on the conversation about responsibility. Yeah. Just because I do think that these doctrines should push us into faithfulness, not into nihilism. That's like, well, God is sovereign, so who's thinking cares about what I do? Rather going... God has called me to himself for a real purpose to really contribute, to really participate that my actions and obedience really matter, not just for my eternal security, but also for the sake of the world that God has sent me to. And so I think, uh, that the, the Latin phrase we use in one of our classes is "ora et labora, which is work and pray. Mm. Yeah. That we're responsible and God works. Yeah. And those two things working in mystery together is, uh, is the crux of this. So ending with responsibility and then prayer is perfect.
0: Yeah, cool. All right, well, let me pray for us. So Lord, uh, what a gift that you would, uh, before the foundation of the world, that you would set your love upon us, that you would pursue us, that you would bring us into relationship with uh, yourself, God, not because we in any way deserve it, but because you love us. And uh, just like you chose Israel, not because Israel was the most impressive, Lord, none of us are the most impressive, and uh, yet you have uh, just, lavished your love on us so we thank you so much for that thank you that you're going to hold us thank you that our salvation secure uh, thank you that you didn't just give us the opportunity to be saved but you really saved us and uh, lord thank you that you've given us this responsibility this opportunity to join you in your mission that you have a mission for your church and so uh, or a church for your mission i guess I, I forget how chris wright said it but anyway lord thank you for that and uh, god i pray for everyone listen to this as they're doing dishes or as they're driving around or as they're going on a walk or working out or whatever they're doing while they're doing this, God, I pray that you would give all of us eyes to see the people around us that you have called us to, that we could be a light to them uh, so that your light would shine and your glory would be magnified. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for listening. Seth, thanks for all your work on this, man. And uh, I don't know what we'll go to next time, but it'll be fun. And I hope you all will join us. See you then. Silly.